This is the Roar and Peace podcast. I'm Kate Bierman, mom to a toddler and five rescue animals, two-term city council member and co-owner of three businesses with my business partner, Sarita Wilson. And I am Sarita Wilson. I have two grown kids, which makes me an empty nester. I'm married to a coffee roaster. I'm a wacky doggy daycare lady, industry disruptor, entrepreneur, and city council lady. I have too many animals to name. Hey, we are four grown-ass women of the apocalypse, and I am Sarita Wilson, day drinker, apocalypse social distancer, and I don't know, I'm crafting my own clothing these days. And I am Kate Bierman, cloth mask maker extraordinaire, tired mom, frustrated business owner, and woman who believes that weekends hold no meaning anymore, and that is a little depressing to me. (laughs) <laughs> this is Suzette Gralat, and I love these uh, new intros every week since we feel like we're probably taking on all kinds of new roles. But this week I would introduce myself as definitely a Netflix connoisseur. I've definitely gotten into the whole Netflix thing. I had never really been much of a sit down and watch shows much. Um, I do feel like a new mom today. My daughter, my 23 year old daughter, finally got out of self isolation and quarantine. And so she's now home with me today. And uh, the last, I guess, way I would introduce myself this week is that I'm also quite the drinker. I'll join Sarita there and uh, have had to stop myself from purchasing things while altered. I think we'll talk about that here in a little bit. I'm Jackie Braun, and this week I am a plumber and a floor painter and a stay-home alcoholic. (laughs) (laughs) So here we are in week three, I believe. Is that right? Week three of shelter in place, a stay at home order. Um, We've joined the global pandemic here in Norman, Oklahoma. So we're going to stick with our question and answer session with these four crazy women. So I'll start with tell me what you miss about the good old days, like three weeks ago. What do you miss about being able to socialize and that sort of thing? So I will say I had drastically underestimated my reliance on routine. It is shocking to me that I wake up and I get Ellie to daycare and then I blink and it's three o'clock in the afternoon. My days are not structured the same way anymore. And I was only half joking when I said that it depresses me a little bit that weekends hold no meaning because I didn't realize just how ingrained the five-day work week and the two-day weekend was in my brain, even as a business owner when I'm kind of on call 24-7. Even though one of our businesses is still active and I feel like I'm doing just as much for that business as I did previously, the weeks look and feel very, very different to me. And it makes me feel a little bit like I'm adrift without an anchor. And so that's been an interesting realization this week, kind of going into week three, is how reliant I was on kind of a weekly schedule. And also my daughter. My daughter is very reliant on a weekly schedule. And this is the week that she kind of started to fall apart. So is daily she back schedule. in daycare yet? Yes, she is back in daycare. Yesterday, they were closed because one of their employees got sick and they were awaiting test results. But they are back open today. And she absolutely loves being there. And now she comes home and t- babbles in her two-year-old drunk toddler language about what she did at school that day. And she talks about all of her teachers and her friends. And she really enjoys being there. And so I'm, I'm glad that she's back. And I think she is too. I agree with Kate. I miss some routine and structure, although I think... I don't miss it as much as I thought I would. I've always been very organized and, you know, I've had my calendar and everything gets marked off, et cetera. 
And I think I miss that less than I thought I would. I really do miss, as I expected, I miss sitting with people. My daughter's here now, so I'll be able to enjoy that a little bit more. But like just going into Jackie's office and sitting, you know, on the couch while she's behind her desk and catching up and chatting and laughing and, you know, working together in the same space. I know why we're doing this and why we have to do this, but I I am starting, this is like the first week really where I've kind of, I really miss that connection. I honestly don't miss a whole lot. (laughs) She doesn't (laughs) miss those conversations with me. I mean, I miss you. (laughs) We still have conversations though. (laughs) I don't miss that at all. Well, my thing is, oh God, I miss Jackie so much. And Jackie's like, you know what? Don't miss you at all. <laughs> For the record, that was an example. But anyway. <laughs> I really miss talking to Suzette. <laughs> no, I, I don't, person. I don't like, okay, don't, I'm, I'm not talking about you guys, but I don't like people. Like, I don't like being around people. I would prefer to just be by myself all the time. So I don't miss that part. What I do miss, however, is one of the very few people that I love dearly is my son and he works with me. So I would see him every day. And now I almost never see him because he doesn't want to come over here and infect me. (laughs) Basically, he's scared to death. I'm going to die. So he when he does come over, which is not very often, he stands six feet away from me and he tries not to touch anything and he doesn't stay for very long. So I do miss that. And I don't miss the structure, but I know that I need it. So there's that. Well, those are kind of where I'm at too. I, um, I wrote this question down. I listed certainty. So I think that maybe is where we all are. I miss certainty. I miss get up in the morning, I check my calendar, I had a direction each day, I had those, so I miss that structure, as Kate said, but I also, I miss, and I'm not a people person, Jackie, I'm very extroverted and gregarious, but generally I'm a loner, I like doing my own thing, but I miss patio time, this is that time of year, yeah. patio time, with friends and chips and salsa and beers. And I've had all of those things, chips, salsa and beers without the friends. And it's not as much fun. <laughs> it's just a little lonely on my back patio by myself. And, uh, and then pedicures. Pedicures and hair treatment. Oh God. And my poor eyebrows. Yeah. Like, Hello, unibrow. <laughs> oh my I never wanted to see you again, but I cannot pluck enough to I had away. I had to go figure out how to take my gel nails off. Like I had, I literally went in masked and, you know, incognito to Walgreens and looked for, I was like, surely there's a way to take this stuff off. I didn't realize it until recently, but as much as I miss the gym, that I really miss the gym. I am not nearly as motivated outside of the gym, even though I have a little bit of workout equipment here. I am not nearly as motivated as when I had a regular schedule for it. And I don't even use the gym and I miss the gym. So that's what I was saying is that I have a gym in my building and that I would use on occasion. And now that I can't use it, that's like one of those things. I can't use it now. And now I really want to do it all the time. I I, want to go to the gym. Suzette, ask a question. Ask one of yours. 
Well, I have several, but um, I think one of the things that that I want to talk about, because I think it will give us a little bit of hope, is what are some of the new things we're working on, new projects? This obviously is a new project for us. Kate, Sarita, you both had a podcast before the pandemic, pre-pandemic. Jackie and I have worked on multiple podcasts. Um, This is a new project for us, this podcast, but we also started some other ones and some research projects, et cetera. So what are some of the new things that you're doing thanks to this pandemic? Well, I've learned to use Zoom very efficiently and I've been playing my ukulele. I love that. Whatever. That's been fun. Terribly. And my poor neighbors and my poor husband and my poor dogs, they all just kind of scatter whenever I start. But you know, I'm getting better and it's been fun and it's actually kind of relieved stress for me. I've been doing like the household projects that I've been putting off and I've written an outline to some chapters for our book, Kate. I did that too. Yeah, I knew you were probably working on that. What book? What book? Well, we would like to turn our podcast into a book. Um, I think it might be morphing in my head. I don't know, Kate, we haven't talked about it at all, but I would definitely like to play on the, you know, small business in the time of COVID because we have all that podcast information that we recorded up playing up to it. You can almost see us going down this path as we got closer and closer to this weird calamity. Um, I did an interview yesterday with KOKH25 and they were asking me what was the, you know, what was the maneuvering the system? And I was able to go right back to a podcast we did where we talked about having a relationship with your bank. We talked about it last week on this podcast. We've talked about it multiple times. Um, but I do think that that has really benefited us in ways that I don't think we really thought even thought of when we were recording the podcast. I mean, this is, this is the kind of thing that makes me so thankful for the relationships that we've built with our professional service providers more so than ever before. And I've been talking to a lot of business owners that are really flailing and not entirely sure how to navigate all of the different loan options and all of that. And they don't have a relationship with their banker that they can just go to and say, I don't know what to do. Give me your advice. So I started working on that at the end of last week after my daycare's owner was asking me about the Paycheck Protection Program and about the SBA loans and all of this. And I was like, you know, that made me think about the podcast and made me start kind of writing some stuff down. So I think it's it'll be a pretty, I mean, I say easy, but I think we have the content. We just got to structure it and and craft it into, you know, a consumable form for reading. But I, I think that in the future, this will be helpful to maybe even document our time in this because this is historic. I have, well, I've got a couple of professional projects that I'm working on with Suzette, some podcasts and things, but person, and I'm brewing beer at home, which is not new, but it's fun. Yeah. 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 Probably even more fun in a pandemic. (laughs) It's good. (laughs) But I'm working on a lot of, like Sarita said, personal projects that I have just been putting off for years, years, literally. I have been wanting to paint my bedroom floor. I took the carpet out eight years ago and I've been living on it with just plain concrete. And I finally (laughs) painted the bedroom floor. I installed a new toilet Um, we're redoing and painting a lot of the rooms in our house and changing outlets and little things that happen that I need to get done and I just didn't have the time to do. So I'm doing all of that stuff and I'm kind of working on a little graphic design project that I don't want to say anything about because somebody might steal it. 
Nobody on this podcast. Not not you, but the listener. I don't want anybody to steal my fantastic idea, but it does have to do with um, Joe Exotic. Oh, oh boy. That makes me happy for wow. some reason. That, has that, I don't even, I don't that even know your Netflix playlist yet. I didn't, it has not actually. And that's what I'm saying. Oh. I haven't even watched this yet. Okay, and I, need to watch it. I know. I was just in class a little while ago with some students and we were talking about what we're watching and they'd all watched Joe Exotic. I have not watched it yet. Everybody I know has watched it. I don't know. I'm, I'm holding out. I don't know why. I'm kind of just like freaked out by the whole thing. So I have not taken, Joe Exotic has not been a new project. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. I've not, I've not taken on that project. But I have been working on a lot of research projects. I've shifted a little bit my project, my On Our Campus project, where I was you know, podcasting as a way to highlight corruption in higher education and started last week a new podcast series called Corruption is Deadly about corruption during this pandemic. And what it is we need to be looking for, you know, people need to understand that $2 trillion worth of stimulus being handed out right now is just, the the time is just prime for corruption, financial corruption. So obviously we need to be, you know, really paying attention to that. But also obviously the medical field, there's a potential for a lot of corruption in terms of who gets medical care, who's making the life and death decisions. I mean, literally corruption can be deadly right now for many. And so trying to wrap our heads around that and expose some corruption wherever we can, make sure that people are establishing an anti-corruption mindset right now to hold our leaders and decision makers accountable wherever they are, the ones that are making decisions on behalf of the public good or individual good. So, so that's not really a new project, but it's kind of shifted from an old project. And then, um, and then I started thinking about you know, I've always done international relations, international politics, but I've been thinking for some time now more about state and local politics. And actually, Kate and I spoke a few days ago about doing a project on the role of local activists, advocates, allies, and accomplices in responding to emergencies and crises as a way to be a stopgap measure for weaknesses in our social, economic, and political systems. And so we've talked a little bit about it. The fact is, is that, you know, we're vulnerable during these times and we have to think about all the ways in which we can expose our weaknesses in policy and procedure and structure and systems so that we can obviously not have to suffer through that again, you know, that we will never, ever do this again. When crises do happen, that we have the proper systems, policy, in place in order to respond. And so I think part of that also then focuses on housing. I think that the new thing for me is how important housing is during a crisis like this. Obviously, all of us are so fortunate to have our houses, to have the roof over our heads, to be able to shelter in place. But I also look across the street at the homeless shelter here in downtown Oklahoma City and see the number of people that don't have housing. And housing is, is healthcare to me now. And Mm -hmm. so I think that's a new project for me is to really kind of dive deeper into housing as not just a human right, but as a matter of healthcare and how we need to address housing crises during a crisis. Being city council members, Kate and I, this topic has been top of our list. You know, we started this Norman Community Relief sort of to share resources and that sort of thing. But the thing that keeps bubbling up is housing insecurity and rent stabilization and eviction moratorium. Yeah. And so, um, well, when I first started running for office, even I had to make the decision as would I be, because I'd been an activist before 
I'd done a lot of activism, a little, you know, civil unrest, a little pipelines and fracking and those kinds of things and protect our water. And then whenever I'm thinking about stepping over into the policymaker role, I had to make a decision. I can't, you can't, it's hard to be an activist and a policymaker. So once you're over in the policymaker side, especially if you come from an activist background, you, you definitely have to kind of think about it in two different ways. Like, how can I make appropriate policies that last beyond me? You know, we've been being requested to change laws. Well, we at city council level don't really do that. So I've been doing investigating, as I know Kate probably has as well, investigating where is this coming from? What can we do? What actually can we do? And one of the things that we, yesterday, we heard that there's probably a a community development block grant in Norman that would be accepted or that would be um, earmarked for rent stabilization, maybe a half a million dollars. So that was exciting to me because as you're making policies, you got to stay within the law, you got to fund it, and you got to make appropriate policies that protect in a broad umbrella way. And having funding actually gives you that extra leg to your table. So right now, what we've currently done in Norman is we have sort of a verbal commitment from our district courts. We have a a verbal commitment from our sheriff's office. They say they have to comply with the law, but that's not top on their priority to evict people. And then we have our city staff working towards a funding opportunity. So I I think that, yes, that's my number one project, honestly, in this time. So this is really something that I've not thought deeply about before now. And I have to tell you, Sarita and Kate, I mean, you two really kind of inspired a lot of my thinking on this. And it's one of the reasons why I reached out to Kate, because I know she's, well, I was pretty sure she wanted to do some research. Yeah, exactly. A walk. Uh, I wasn't going to say that, but uh, since it's okay, it's not a dirty word in my book. It's not a day, right? So, um, but the fact that you all immediately stepped up, actually, I think you went above and beyond your positions as city council members to galvanize a movement in response to this pandemic. And I think that's, you know, I, I teach about activism. I'm an, I, I consider myself a scholar activist. I'm fascinated by activism and activists, but yet I've, I've focused on it more at the international level than I have at the local level. And what's been really fascinating to me is to watch like the efforts that you guys put into building that community-based mutual aid program, what Oklahoma City has done. I live in Oklahoma City, so I became a part of that network and have been watching them and engaging with a social justice community in Oklahoma City to focus on a lot of these issues as well. But the fact is, is that we're having to do that because we don't have other institutional mechanisms in place to take care of people at a time of crisis. And as Kate and I were talking about on the phone the other day, you know, this is really exposed and kind of laid bare a lot of weaknesses and pieces that are missing in what municipalities can, can do. Because, I mean, even Sarita, you just mentioned working with the sheriff. I mean, housing issues, evictions, for example, are done on a county basis. It's the sheriff that enacts evictions. It's the county courts that deal with evictions. So, you know, in the city of Norman or the people in Oklahoma City, we can't deal with those issues. It's got to be done by the county. And yet the rules that are being made about housing and evictions right now is just, it's, it's just that the courts aren't hearing eviction cases. It's not that evictions aren't going to happen. It's not that filings aren't still happening. 
it's that until July 24th, there will be no court cases on evictions. That means on July 25th, there's going to be, as as uh, somebody said to me in a meeting the other day, uh, somebody from OCU who works on housing issues there said there's going to be a an eviction tsunami that will happen after the moratorium is lifted. And so a metric that, shit ton. Yeah, right. Yeah. So this is the kind of thing that we're <laughs> we're concerned about, you know. And so mm-hmm. for longer term issues, we've got to be paying attention to housing. We've got to be thinking about housing in a very different way than we're thinking about it pre-pandemic. It's just a whole different issue for me now. So when I asked you all about new projects, I mean that to me is is part of my new project is to really think very deeply about how we can address issues of, of housing and how it is incredibly important as a healthcare issue. And I'm really well, glad and- that Suzette really jumped on it because as, as she said to me when we were on the phone is that academia is usually five to 10 years behind a lot of these situations and we really need policy answers faster than that. Yeah. Um, And it's really motivating to have this in your immediate rear view window than having to think about it as a two or three or five year past issue. So I'm, I'm really excited about that and hoping that we can make some good headway on it. And that is one of the projects that I'm working on in addition to trying to get some some things out of my head and onto paper about, you know, about our podcast for a possible book. I'm also trying to see if there's any headway that I can make on the children's book that I'm working on with an illustrator. Sarita, I cannot wait to share some of the most amazing illustrations that this woman has made of George, Sarita's dog, who's going to be the star of this book. I She's have been doing a lot one. more work than I've been than I've been able to do because publishers are not really taking a lot of calls right now, but she can sit at home and illustrate like crazy. So, <laughs> hey, I have another idea too. Ooh, yeah. It branched off of your idea about the squirrels traveling the world. And I'm going to copyright this right now on air. Uh, Merle the squirrel. (gasps) That's all I've got. Can we do that? Can we do this together? Can you have named, can you have named the character? So this is another children's book that I've had in my head for years of a squirrel that travels the United States on the electrical poles and goes from city to city and visits all the famous landmarks and most amazing things that that city has to offer. And he, it totally should be Merle the Squirrel's Adventures. All I know is that his name is Merle. I woke up the other day and I was like, oh, Merle, of course. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I've also planted a garden that I am now officially failing at less than a week after I started. My basil is dead. Yeah, we had a cold spell like two days after. I think we actually had the cold spell because I planted. Um, I have a feeling that the weather would have been fine if I hadn't planted. And now it's going to drop down into the 30s again next week. So, but yeah, my basil is dead. I don't think my catnip plant is going to make it. I'm pretty sure that one of my cucumber plants won't make it. The other ones seem to be doing okay for now. And then, of course, I'm making tons of cloth masks for everyone who needs them. And turns out I'm not too bad at making cloth masks. You know, maybe this will be a longstanding fashion statement because, honestly, now that I have this skill, I don't want it to be over and useless in just a couple months. So my mom is making masks. And so she sent us a mask and I wore it uh, out in public yesterday. So, yeah, and it's quite fashionable. It's very pretty. Um, so I was proud of it, but it's also really annoying to wear a mask in public and have to breathe inside a mask. 
for. Although however. I love that it basically takes about uh, 60% off of my morning face care routine. <laughs> oh, well, it takes 100% off of mine. I'm just going to say. <laughs> and not only that, what was really awesome is that because I went to the grocery store yesterday with a hat, my, my hair in a ponytail with a hat on and my mask on, I saw people I knew and they didn't know it was me. So I didn't have to talk to anybody. Oh, yeah. So it's it was a really, perfect incognito yeah, disguise. It was awesome. Can I, I just 15 relate? years younger with a with half of my face covered. <laughs> Can I just relate the comedy that ensued when Rob went to the before he Rob my husband before he got his mask from Kate had a bandana over his oh, face because he lost his other mask. But we had to go to the bank. <laughs> oh, I'm sure they loved that. Yeah, we just wanted to pick up we, our AirPods that we had provided some coffee for. We, them, we but... laugh at this, but people are actually posting on Twitter and elsewhere people of color that are concerned about walking I, I actually public just faces with their face yeah. covered. I listened so, to I mean, an NPR story yeah. today from it was actually a black physician in Chicago who said that he would not be wearing a mask out in public unless it was a surgical mask. And all of his students, because it's a teaching hospital, all of his students were feeling the same way. And they actually yeah. shared a video of two, I mean, they were like in their 20s, just black people, walk. they walked into Walmart with actual surgical masks on. It wasn't like a bandana or a, a scarf or anything like that. And a, the police officer that is stationed at the Walmart, because that's the world yep. we live in, that Walmarts have police officers stationed at them, escorted them out and told yep. them that it was a city policy that no one could wear face coverings inside yeah. retail stores. And A, that yes, law does not good. exist. And B, also flies in the face of the existing state, federal, and even their local guidelines during this pandemic. Yeah, um, and he was record. They were recording on the way out, and they were like, "This is what is happening to us. This is the police officer. This is so." Yeah, it, I mean, it, I it can imagine that this is that this is really, really difficult, especially for because people of color are at a much higher risk of serious complications from this disease. Well, they're, too. Di they're dying. They're dying at, at a much higher rate. rate. Yeah, exactly. And and they aren't getting the care that they need. The racial divide on this disease, you know, the connections between poverty and race and death from COVID is, mm -hmm. is really, it's mind blowing and it's horrible. And people of color who are trying to protect themselves, you know, are also going to be facing these certain reactions. And it just, all of this is just laid bare, completely laid bare and exposed the massive inequalities that we have in this country, whether it's, you know, from economic inequality, racial inequality, you name it, it, you know, the inequalities are there for us to just stare at. And we really, again, as we look at better policy, better structures, better systems in the future, we have to come to terms with that. And I'm sure that none of us are surprised that up until about a week ago, they were not keeping racial or socioeconomic demographic data on the testing rates or even on who is testing positive, they were not keeping that information. Yeah, by design. I'm sure they were at the at the hospital level or at the county level, but it wasn't making its way up to the CDC. And I have no doubt that that was intentional. Absolutely by design. And can we talk for a minute back to rent and housing security? So as we've created this group and kind of rolled this giant ball down a hill of trying to, to support our community in sort of a social safety net kind of way, I'm white. Everybody knows this about me. And I'm also facing some housing insecurity because I can't make my house payment. But I was able to call my uh, mortgage company up and say, hey, I'm going I'm not going to be able to make my rent and I don't get hassled. I don't get evicted. They say nice things to me and 
tell me, you know, take 90 days. And in that, there's a big pile of privilege. And I know not everybody has that. And I've learned a lot during this process of just listening to others and hearing their insecurities and feeling like we all are feeling insecure right now in everything because all of our jobs are messed up. All of our savings accounts are taking hits. We're, we're all feeling insecure. And I'm very fortunate to know I can live in this house for probably 90 days without getting some sort of a legal action against me. But you still shouldn't have to face legal action against you. I think that's the thing is that, you know, we are in a, an, a global crisis and people should not be faced with these decisions of, am I going to be able to keep my house, whether I own it, whether I have a mortgage on it, whether I rent, whatever the situation is, right? And again, the, the, the racial and other inequalities that are apparent in just this one issue of housing is, is so real. And yet we shouldn't be faced with that. No one should be faced with that concern going forward. And so I hope that's a lesson that we can learn, you know? And so, so as far as new projects go, I mean, that's an important project to me because I think those are lessons that we need to learn from this experience. And I'll be interested to see what, what we're able to do at the local level. I think that's been the most frustrating thing is wanting to take stronger action than we're legally allowed to do. You know, this isn't us just being hampered by not having an ordinance in place. It's not something that can be as easily solved as just putting an ordinance in place. I mean, we are limited by state law in what we are able to do. And that, to me, has been the most frustrating thing as someone who wants to make policy. This kind of forces me back into a role that, like Sarita had said earlier, I kind of had to set aside because to me, being the difference between being a policymaker and being an activist is as a policymaker, I want to be sure that if someone is sitting in my position with a completely different set of ideologies or political opinions, you know, I don't want to do something by sheer force that then opens the door to them being able to revert back in the same way. But I feel limited in what I'm able to do as a local policymaker, especially a local policymaker who has kind of a reputation of being a a troublemaking progressive, because my Norman delegation at the state capitol pretty much feels similarly to how I feel. And they are in the vast, vast minority. And so there's really not much that they can really help me carry water on. I don't know what the answer is in a state like Oklahoma that has definitely proven to not that the the I don't even I don't even care about saying this in a political way. Republicans in Oklahoma do not care about housing issues. They do not care about housing security. That is not a top priority for them. It never has been. And I think it unlikely that it ever will be. And well, well, that's, that's frustrating to me. That's what I think we're going to have to learn. We're going to have to learn if that if, if they learn the lesson from this about that. So I, I think that that's just something we're going to have to look at going forward. But I know we're getting close to the end of our time. And one of the things that I think we want to do is end on a joyful, happy note. So um, maybe we can each share something that we've experienced this last week that has brought us some joy or made us laugh. I'll start. I bought a rowing machine. (laughs) (laughs) So we could talk to that about um, purchases made while altered. (laughs) And I don't generally keep stuff from my husband and he'll listen to this. And at some point I've got to come clean. But I have it at my office at, and it's not here at the house and I haven't told my husband about it and I don't really know how to explain it. Surprise, Rob! <laughs> we don't have any money. Our bank accounts are declining. I can't, I can't pay my mortgage, but I bought a rowing machine. 
So That's okay. I'm buying a ukulele. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a ukulele. So if you just buy a rowing machine and a ukulele, oh, we can, can get on her level. I don't know. Hey. But it made me giggle more than once at trying to figure out how do you hide a rowing machine? What kind of story can I tell? Like There's... if I bought a pair of shoes, I could say, oh, I've had these all along. You know what? And And not that we do that in marriage. So anyways, that's made me giggle quite a bit. So the thing that made me giggle this last week was plunking down a not insignificant, not rowing machine style money, but probably about ukulele style money on a gardening setup. And I rushed to learn everything I could about what to garden and how to set up a bed and how to create the best garden soil with the mix of topsoil and compost and potting soil and all of that. But the one thing I didn't do was research when to plant. <laughs> because not two days after I did that, we had a pretty drastic drop in temperatures. And I'd say probably about 25% of my plants are dead. And the same thing's going to happen next week. We're going to have lows right hovering at about 32 degrees, which means I'm probably going to lose another 25% of my plants. And then we will actually be in the couple weeks of April that is the time to plant. And so maybe I will have learned my lesson. But that was my pandemic purchase was getting back into gardening and getting all of the things that I needed for it. I am trying to keep myself busy enough with cloth masks that I don't go and buy something like a Nintendo Switch or something that I really want to buy. So just trying to stay busy. Um, you know, idle hands buy rowing machines. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> I haven't purchased anything big, but I did. I mean, floor paint. Well, that has been in my closet for about four <laughs> years. <laughs> so, I did. I did purchase a toilet, though. So there was that. That hey. and installed it. Installed the toilet. Yes. Now, bonus question, though: Did you buy a bidet to go along with it? Well, I didn't, but I I should have. But I'm not sure if there are any bidets available. I've seen that they're all sold out everywhere. So I doubt that I will. Yes, the great toilet paper shortage of 2020 then caused a great bidet shortage of 2020. Yes. Um, I did, though, however, inspired by Sarita, dust off my ukulele. And I hope that brings me joy and not frustration. Well, I am seriously going to buy a ukulele because I have, you know, FOMO. Otherwise, I'm just, I don't want to be left out. But I'll tell you what's made me laugh really hard this week. And I really hope Jackie shares this more widely. And that is her little videos of her dog. She's animated her dog. She's like her dog is singing and oh telling you stories. Jackie, your dog's name, Pepite. Pepite roast- de Chocolat Roast Beef. Pepite de Chocolat <laughs> Roast Beef is the dog's name. Sounds and, like a Rita Wilson style name. I know, and, right? And and oh, and yet the, and, and the, are very happy about that. And the dog, uh, my dog, is now barking. Uh, if you can hear that, but uh, but but the dog sings and tells stories, and it's just beautiful. It's beautiful animation. So it's made. Oh I watched it over and over again because it was just so funny. I think that, that maybe Pepite de Chocolat Roast Beef should have her own Instagram. Yes, she did. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. There's no with a question. name like that. How can you not? <laughs> not right no question and t-shirts yeah. merch and children's books and children's books i will say i think the, the other the only the other thing that i don't think there's anything else that has made me laugh harder in the last week is my two-year-old has memorized her favorite book how do dinosaurs say good night and i finally got it on video of her reading it 
And she just has the cutest way of reading it. And she's so theatrical about it. And instead of saying falls on the top of the covers and cries, she says falls on the toppers and cries. And it might be the cutest thing I've ever heard in my whole life. And I laugh hysterically every time I watch that video. See, so we got to find joy somewhere, right? Well, if anybody's missing joy, go to my uh, Facebook page because there's a really cool video of me trying to do a warped wall. Oh, that is dramatic. I don't, I honestly don't. I think in the last year, there might be only a handful of times that I have laughed harder than in that situation. I would not have been able to help her if she had. I'm so glad she didn't injure herself when she did that because I like my legs buckled. I was laughing so hard. I wasn't even there and my legs buckled from <laughs> laughing so hard. It was it, I, it, another video I watched over and uh, sorry, I Serena. It was it not, not, it was, not at your it was expense, amazing. but it was just exactly what we needed to see. I think at that time you, you reshared this, I think. This, yeah, this I last week to, to make people yeah. laugh. And it was just beautiful watching it's hilarious. you fail miserably. <laughs> I know. I, well, and I, I'm like, what the fuck was I thinking? But um, also I had a broken hand. I, I know. Like I was going to, what? I don't know. But the, the funny part was I had Kate share it because she took the video. And then I had to explain to everybody that she wasn't being mean to me. Like I was like, share that video. It's hilarious. And you I know, did not and, say that I had permission to post it. And so there was like, there was yeah. people like, whoa, Kate's mean. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, I, I've really been grateful for these conversations because it is a time when we can laugh together. Yeah, I'm appreciating that. Um, so I guess continue to follow us, uh, Kate and I, on roarandpeaceproject.com. And you can find us at ournameisamplify.com. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Thanks guys. Bye. See you next week. Bye. 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 Bye.